Beloved, our call to worship this evening is from Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Scripture reading for this evening you can find in Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 17. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me, that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilian's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her a conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, 
Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they call his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. May God bless the reading of his holy and precious word to our hearts this evening. We'll now make confession of faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let each of us say in our hearts thus, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We'll now turn to the form for the administration of baptism, which you can find on page 126, the back of the Psalter. Page 126 in the back of the Psalters. The principal parts of the doctrine of holy baptism are these three. First, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin, and therefore are children of wrath, insomuch that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God except we are born again. This, the dipping in or sprinkling with water, teaches us whereby the impurity of our souls is signified. And we admonished to loathe and humble ourselves before God and seek for our purification and salvation without or outside of ourselves. Secondly, holy baptism witnesses and seals unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. For, when we are baptized in the name of the Father, God the Father witnesses and seals unto us that he doth make an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us for his children and heirs, and therefore will provide us with every good thing and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. And when we are baptized in the name of the Son, The Son seals unto us that he doth wash us in his blood from all our sins, incorporating us into the fellowship of his death and resurrection, so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. In like manner, when we are baptized in the name of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost assures us by this holy sacrament that he will dwell in us and sanctify us to be members of Christ applying unto us that which we have in Christ, namely the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives, 
till we shall finally be presented without spot or wrinkle among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. Thirdly, whereas in all covenants there are contained two parts, therefore are we by God through baptism admonished of and obliged unto new obedience, namely that we cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that we trust in him and love him with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, and with all our strength that we forsake the world, crucify our old nature, and walk in a new and holy life. And if we sometimes, through weakness, fall into sin, we must not therefore despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, since baptism is, is a seal and undoubted testimony that we have an eternal covenant of grace with God. And although our young children do not understand these things, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. For as they are without their knowledge partakers of the condemnation in Adam, so are they again received unto grace in Christ, as God speaks unto Abraham, the father of all the faithful. And therefore unto us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee, Genesis seventeen seven. This also the Apostle Peter testifies with these words, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, Acts two thirty nine. Therefore God formerly commanded them to be circumcised, which was the seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith, And therefore Christ also embraced them, laid his hands upon them, and blessed them. Mark 10. Since then, baptism has come in the place of circumcision. Therefore, infants are to be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And parents are in duty bound further to instruct their children herein when they shall arrive to years of discretion. That therefore this holy ordinance of God may be administered to his glory, to our comfort, And to the edification of his church, let us call upon his holy name. O Almighty and eternal God, thou who hast, according to thy severe judgment, punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, and hast, according to thy great mercy, saved and protected believing Noah and his family, thou who hast drowned the obstinate Pharaoh, and his host in the Red Sea, and hast led thy people Israel through the midst of the sea upon dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We beseech thee that thou will be pleased of thine infinite mercy, graciously to look upon these children, and incorporate them by thy Holy Spirit into thy Son, Jesus Christ, that they may be buried with him into his death, and be raised with him in newness of life, that they may daily follow him, joyfully bearing their cross, and cleave unto him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love, that they may, with a comfortable sense of thy favor, leave this life which is nothing but a continual death, and that the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ, thy Son, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with thee and the Holy Ghost, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. I now ask the parents to arise and to 
answer to the following questions. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have heard that baptism is an ordinance of God to seal unto us and to our seed his covenant. Therefore, it must be used for that end and not out of custom or superstition. That it may then be manifest that you are thus minded, you are to answer sincerely to these questions. First, whether you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin, and therefore subject to all miseries, yea, to condemnation itself, yet that they are sanctified in Christ and therefore as members of his church ought to be baptized. Second, whether you acknowledge the doctrine which is contained in the Old and New Testaments and in the articles of the Christian faith, and which is taught here in this Christian church to be the true and perfect doctrine of salvation. Third, whether you promise and intend to see these children when come to the years of discretion, whereof you are parents, instructed and brought up in the aforesaid doctrine, or help or cause them to be instructed therein to the utmost of your power. What is your answer, Peter and Caitlin Carlson? Tom and Liz Ekema, Charlie and Kendra Engelsma, Daniel and Leona Quakel, Nate and Jessica Camp. Well, parents, you've given your oath before God and before his people to raise your children in the fear of the name in the fear of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. And so tonight I want to pause briefly and consider wisdom for raising your children. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. The word train there means to dedicate, to dedicate, to give your child to the way in which they are to walk. And so this is not about infant dedication. This is about dedicating your children to the ways and the wisdom of God, to teach them who God is, to teach them by precept, by what the Lord teaches in his word, but also to teach them by example. Our example is a powerful teacher to our children. We model for our children how they are to walk before the Lord. And so that's, a, that's a, heavy, a heavy duty in a sense that is laid upon us in these words to train up a child in the way he should go, to dedicate them to the, to the way that God has charted in his word for our children to walk. So in one sense, we take our children, we dedicate them to, to God, to the things of God, to the word of God. The great purpose of this dedication, this training, is for the glory of God, for the salvation of our children, for them to walk in holiness when the Lord works in their lives, to point them to life that is in Jesus again and again and again. We're to dedicate them to a particular direction. Solomon says here, in the way he should go. It speaks to us as being parents, but also teachers. We are the teachers of our children, primarily. And of course, we 
Surrender them to teachers at day school, to the elders in catechism class, but primarily we have the largest influence on our children. At least it ought to be that way. We should not capitulate our duty as parents to others. And so we are the primary teachers of our children. And of course we do that within the community of the church. As we saw in this past week, we lost one of our covenant children. He was one of ours. And so these children are received into membership in the church already now at baptism. And so we as a community are teachers of these children also by precept and by example. And we are to dedicate them to the, to the direction of the way of the Word of God, the way of the Word, to bring them under the means of grace, to bring them in the ways of Christian education, to bring them in the ways of family worship, every opportunity to bring the Word of God when we sit down, when we stand up, when we walk, when we lay them down at night, to be able to speak to them and point them back to God who made them and the God who delights to redeem them. And of course, this training takes into account each of our children. Each of them has gifts, and we discover them as they grow older, and we teach them at the level that they're at. And education and teaching is never a one-size-fits-all, so what works for one child may not work for another. And so we take that into account as well. That's what's captured in this, this wisdom for training up our children in the ways of God. How long does this last? Solomon speaks about the duration here as well. So three D words tonight, dedication, direction, and duration. When he is old, he will not depart from it. I believe it was during the Reformation, whether it was uh, the Roman Catholics who said it during the Counter-Reformation or the Reformers, they said, you give me your children from the ages of one through eight, and you can have them the rest of their lives. The years one through eight are crucial learning years for your children. Instill in them the fear of God, the joy of fearing God, so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Sometimes we get caught up in parenting. We get caught up in all the little moments. We get caught up in the nitty-gritty details of parenting, and we, we forget the big picture. But here God is pointing out the big picture. That when they're old, they will not depart from it. So those years that we have them at home are crucial years. So teaching our children is is forward-looking. It's forward-looking. That's what God reminds us of tonight. And he calls us to faithfulness. So that when our children are old, they will not depart from it. That they will not depart. They will not turn away from what they have learned in those early years when we've trained them when we've dedicated them to the ways of God. And so this implies action on our part as parents, setting a foundation for faithfulness in the hearts and lives of our children for the future. And we do need to understand that our efforts and our success are not always one-to-one. We may not see immediate fruits upon our training of our children. What's laid down here is a principle of wisdom. That when we are faithful in the training of our children, this is what God delights to use. This is the normative way, the normal way that God brings our children to himself. 
He calls us to faithfulness as parents so that our children, as they grow up in age, will remain faithful to God and to His Word. And so there's this principle of blessing that follows faithful teaching of the Word of God to our children. So wisdom for training our children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And young people, this evening I want to address you as well at baptism. You too have been baptized. This past week we lost one of our baptized members. Jordan was about to make confession of faith. Just a few weeks short of meeting with the elders. A few weeks short of making confession of faith himself. What does your baptism mean to you tonight? What does the fact mean that God has placed His name on you? A Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It ought to mean to you tonight that God has set you apart for Himself. At your baptism, God has come to you and said, I want to be your God. I want you to be my son and to be my daughter. That's what God said at your baptism. Have you realized that by faith? Have you come under the blood of sprinkling, under the blood of Christ, which this water of baptism points you to? Have you improved your baptism as our forefathers spoke of it? Have you come by faith to realize those promises that God spoke to you? So baptism tonight should bring you to shelter under the blood of Christ. Should bring you to separate yourself from that which is, which is unholy, that which is sinful. Because you have the name of the triune of the holy God upon your forehead. It doesn't mean that you go out and live in the world and God will save you anyway. No, it means that you come to God tonight. You take him at his word as you see that water sprinkled on the forehead of these babies again. God reminds you that you have been sprinkled. That you need to be born again. That you need to come under the blood of Christ. That you need to turn to God away from sin. Jacob Daniel Carlson, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. David Levi Ekema, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Oliver Kryn Engelsma, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Isabel Rose Quakel, 
I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Henrik Ellis Camp, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Beloved, our text for this evening is from Ruth chapter 4, 13 through 17, a text that beautifully dovetails with the themes of birth and God's faithfulness. And in our last sermon on the book of Ruth, we considered the fact that redemption was accomplished. Boaz declared that he had bought the land of Elimelech and Malon and Kilion to provide for Naomi. He declared that he had bought Ruth in order to marry her and provide an heir for her and for Naomi. We saw that Ruth's Moabite heritage and history was no deterrent to, to Boaz. Because he knew that she was a woman of virtue, he knew that she had already come to shelter under the wings of God and his redemption. He knew she had already come home to the covenant God of Israel. He had purchased her with a specific purpose in mind, to marry her, to provide for her, to carry on the family name. We saw the spiritual parallel of the greater Boaz who purchases his people by his own blood in order to marry them, in order to bear the fruit of redemption, to carry on his family name. We also saw the prospects of redemption in words that were pregnant with spiritual meaning, the words house and the word seed. The people of the city wished Boaz's house to be foundational to the history of Israel, like the house that Rachel and Leah helped create with their children. They wished his house to be like the house of Pharaoh's, of the house of promise, speaks of the house of David that would be built in a few generations. This word house has redemptive meaning. Speaks of God's faithfulness, of of raising up a seed, of building a house, the house of David, the dynasty of David that would result in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this word seed, the seed speaks to the continuation of God's promise from Genesis 3.15 where the seed of the woman would ultimately crush the head of the serpent. The word seed is drawn throughout the entire Old Testament and issues forth in the seed, the fulfillment of the seed in Christ. Tonight we come to the actual marriage, the consummation, we could say, of redemption and the birth of of children, the fruit of redemption. The theme of these last verses is best captured in the words of the women to Naomi in verse 14. 
Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, without a redeemer. How true that is this evening as well. Blessed be the Lord who has not left us without a kinsman, without a redeemer. Baptism points us to that redeemer. The word of God, again, the gospel, points us to that redeemer tonight in Christ Jesus. Our theme tonight, then, is simply this. Not left without a redeemer. Not left without a redeemer. One who was born through divine intervention in the first place. He was born through divine intervention. In verse 13, we read of the Lord's intervention again in the narrative. For the most part, throughout the book of Ruth, the players have been human characters. We could say they are the instruments of God's providence as, as history unfolds, as providence unfolds. All these characters God is, is bringing here and bringing there and bringing together in order to further the history of redemption, to unfold the history of God's saving purposes for humanity. In the book of Ruth, we see the beauty of providence unfolding through the everyday lives of ordinary people. That's what That's what makes the book so beautiful, so intriguing, so engaging, so appealing. Human agency is throughout all of the book of Ruth. We see it again in verse 14, or verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when he went went into her. Words of human agency, words of human action. Redemption has been accomplished. The marriage has taken place. We have here the statement of the union of a, of a husband and a wife. The whole body, emotion, spirit, and soul union of a husband and wife in the consummation of marriage. That night on the threshing floor when Ruth asks Boaz to spread his skirt over her, is now complete. She's his wife. Ruth, the Moabitess, is the wife of Boaz. Boaz, the man of integrity, the man of wealth, the man of moral courage, the man of godliness, the man of generosity, the nearer kinsman by right of redemption, the man who is the embodiment, as it were, of the kindness of the Lord, And then the Moabite woman, Ruth, come from a far country, forsaken the prospect of a husband in the country of her origins, as Ruth or as Naomi told her to go back to Moab, to to the country of her husband, to her family, where there was the prospect of a husband and she refused. She went to Israel because that's where God would have her find Boaz, a better husband. She had cast herself on the mercy of God, and now she casts herself on the mercy of Boaz and his ability to be her redeemer. She's a hard-working woman, an industrious woman, the embodiment of the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. All of this points to how providence works for the progress, the unfolding of redemption. It's a match made in heaven, isn't it? A match made in heaven. Boaz and Ruth brought together in God's providence. 
so that God's redemption could be revealed for us and for our children tonight. A woman out of a far country with no prospects in Israel, united to a man who redeemed her, provides for her generously. And then we read of the fruit of redemption, and then we read of of the divine agency. So there's human action, there's human agency. Boaz went into Ruth, but it's God who gave conception. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she, she bare a son. This is the second time in the book of Ruth that we read of the Lord's direct activity and intervention in the narrative. In Ruth 1.6, we read that Naomi returns to Bethlehem from Moab because she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Back then it was bread. Now it's a baby. The Lord gave his people bread, and now he gives his people a baby. Conception in the womb. This reminds us that the Lord is sovereign over life. Some of you struggle with infertility and the Lord's sovereignty over receiving life. Ruth had been married to Malon, some estimate, for ten years with, with no children. She was left without husband and heir when Malon died, but now in her marriage to Boaz... The Lord blesses them with a child. But just as God is sovereign over the womb, so he's sovereign in sending children into our lives and into our families, also through adoption, as we saw and have witnessed in the past months. But in terms of human life, this verse seems a general enough statement. Two people come together, they get married. Blessed with a child by the Lord. Some of us take it for granted, perhaps, that we receive children of the Lord, but we should never take that for granted. Children are an heritage, a gift, a blessing from the Lord. We're reminded of that again here tonight. And so in the grand scheme of redemption, this is no ordinary statement that we read here. This child is born of divine intervention. The Lord gave conception. In a sense, it's a special child. It's a vital part of the story of of Boaz and Ruth. The whole point of redemption was for marriage, their family name, for another generation to be raised up. The word house and seed are important words that further the progress of redemption. We see that being developed here in the Lord giving conception and birth. The hope of redemption continues through the birth of this child. This child is a gift of grace. This baby boy born born to Ruth and Boaz speaks of the hope of redemption, not just for Ruth, not just for Naomi, not just for Boaz to have a son to carry on the family name. But it speaks of hope of redemption for all of humanity because if we look back on the history of redemption, everything, as it were, rides on this child. This child conceived and born through divine intervention speaks of God's faithfulness. 
in bringing redemption to fruition. If this child had not been born, humanly speaking, from our perspective, the history of redemption would have been short-circuited. There would be no redemption. And so what we have here is a proclamation of grace. A proclamation of salvation. The Lord gave conception. And she bare a son. Hope, redemption in this story comes forth with clarity. Not just for Ruth and Naomi, but for us tonight. There is a Redeemer. We are not left without a Redeemer as a result of of God's intervention so many years ago, so many millennia ago in the lives of, of Ruth and Boaz. The Lord gave conception. Speaks of life. Speaks of life. Life in the Redeemer. Life that was going to come as a result of this child being born. Reminds us, doesn't it, of another unlikely conception and birth that comes through divine intervention. The birth of Christ. The fulfillment of the seed. The one who has built the house of Boaz and Ruth and then of David till he came in the flesh as the son of David, born of Joseph and Mary, born of of divine conception through the Holy Spirit hovering over the womb of Mary. So this child here in this history is the fruit of redemption, the hope of the future, spiritual redemption wrapped into one. We have here again a beautiful picture of how providence again serves redemption. Let's remember this tonight. Nothing happens by chance. Maybe we think that the events of this past week happened by chance. Maybe we think that the birth of our children happened by chance. But nothing happens by chance. There are no chance births, no chance adoptions, no chance marriages, no chance deaths. No chance migrations to Moab and back again to Bethlehem. No chance encounters in the field and on the threshing floor. Behind the scenes, God is orchestrating everything for His glory and the glory of His Son. Even the cross providences of this week. The joyous providences of baptism and birth and adoption are serving We trust for God's redemption to be played out in our lives tonight. We are not left, beloved, without a Redeemer. He's born through divine intervention. Not just Obed here in this story, but Christ himself stands as the Redeemer of sinners tonight. To those who are in Moab, he calls and he says, come. There is bread in the Father's house. Not just bread. There's a baby. A baby that was the hope 
of humanity. A baby that was designated as the Redeemer. Designed to redeem His people. That's what we see in our second thought. Even as He came through divine intervention, this child born to Boaz and Ruth was designed for gracious restoration in the life of Naomi. He was born for a glorious purpose. That purpose unfolds in the words of the women of Bethlehem as they observe the Lord's visitation to Boaz and Ruth and they turn to speak to Naomi. Let's back up for a moment and see and remember how Naomi's progressed throughout the narrative. In the opening verses, we find her in Moab, a woman that has been marred by grief. The poor choices of her husband led them to Moab. The death of her husband, the death of her two sons. She returns to Bethlehem with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. And then she tries to convince these daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, to go back to Moab. The Lord deal kindly with you, she says. Even as she's heard that the Lord has visited His people in giving them bread. Ruth persists in following her. More accurately, in following God back to Bethlehem. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and returns to Moab. A fatal kiss. They return to the land of promise. But Naomi sees anything but promise. All she sees is justice from the hand of God. She wrestles, she struggles with the bitter providence that God has placed on her shoulders. She responds bitterly. But over time, as Ruth goes into Boaz's field, the time of barley harvest, As she comes back home, staggering under the weight of grain, Naomi begins to change into the hand of the kindness of Boaz. But also she sees through the kindness of Boaz and sees the kindness of the Lord. Over time, God changes her, you see. Even to the point where she lays down the plan for Ruth to go to Boaz on the threshing floor and secure redemption for herself. Now the focus of the story, of the narrative, falls on Naomi again. And God's grace comes full circle and bears the fruit of redemption and change and transformation in Naomi's life. Poor choices, an empty heart, bitter heart, bitter providences now turn into a beautiful filling of Naomi's heart and Naomi's arms. The women of the city speak to the praise of the Lord as they speak to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord in verse 14. It's fitting that their words begin with praise to the Lord for Naomi. He is the one who has brought her here in his wise providence. Through all the twists and turns of her life, we've seen the Lord at work in her life. Drawn from Moab to the house of bread, from emptiness to fullness. 
Though she charges the Lord for his bitter providences and her emptiness, the Lord's kindness changes her heart through Boaz's generosity. But it's all the Lord. It's all the Lord, isn't it? He's doing it all along. Praise be to his name as he brings Naomi to the place of fullness. You notice the name that is used here, that is ascribed to God by these women? It's the Lord in capital letters. It's the covenant name of God. God doesn't forsake this bitter woman. He changes her loss into one of joy and fullness. It's a fitting end, isn't it, to the conclusion of what we read about Naomi in the book of Ruth. Praise to the Lord. It teaches us how that the Lord weaves our lives together in His providence, both the emptying experiences and the filling experiences. It's, he's in control even when it seems everything has, has unraveled in our lives, either through our own poor choices or through cross-providences. We need to keep that in mind this week. As we look back on the grand scheme of the providence of God, reminds us that he's at work in bringing redemption to his people. Even in the death of Christ, when all seemed lost, he brought redemption through the death of one. He's worthy of our praise for that very thing tonight. Because he brings from emptiness to fullness. The women then speak to Naomi and help her trace the source of her blessing. Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. They highlight the double blessing of a, of a kinsman, of a redeemer. Boaz was the near kinsman who exercised his right of redemption to buy the fields of Elimelech, Malon, and Kilian to provide for Naomi in her old age. The proceeds of that field would go to Naomi. She would, be, she would be fine. But now another kinsman is born. Another redeemer is born who will carry on the name of the family. The kinsman referred to here is, is the child that is born to Boaz and Ruth. The hope of redemption now lay in this child born to, to Boaz and Ruth. He was the kinsman now that would continue the, the lineage of Elimelech and receive his inheritance. What a change for Naomi. What a change. Entered Bethlehem empty without hope of redemption, and now she receives a double redemption, as it were. Her hopes of a future both physical and spiritual, are now tied to this child. She's not left without a Redeemer. What a statement. Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, without a Redeemer. Remember what what Naomi had said to Ruth as Boaz went to the city gate to speak with Mr. So-and-so. She said, sit still, my daughter. He will not rest until he has finished this thing this day. 
The women pick up that language of timing. He has not left thee this day without a kinsman. The Lord has provided for you, Naomi, in a double way. It's the climax of Naomi's life. The Lord has not left you without a redeemer. A message of hope for Naomi. A message of hope for sinners tonight. The end of the story of Ruth blazons for us this message tonight. We are not left without a Redeemer. Baptism, the visible gospel, splashes, as it were, this this truth for us. The purchase price of redemption is the blood of Christ pictured in the water of baptism. There is a Redeemer. His name is Jesus. This is the gospel that is heralded to us in Ruth, not left without a redeemer. The entire narrative has been pushing towards this this resolution, towards this climax. The providence of God has been pushing towards this climax. The progress of redemption has been pushing towards this this climax. Not left without a redeemer. This child, born to Boaz and Ruth as a child of hope because of what he represents in the lineage of Christ that was going to come hereafter. We'll consider more of that next week, Lord willing. Our redeemer is coming for Naomi. A Redeemer has come for you and me, beloved. His name is Christ. He stands in the gospel tonight and he calls you to come. To find hope in who he is and what he's done. He's accomplished redemption. And he freely gives it to sinners who come to him. To those who are needy to those who have been emptied of everything. He calls you to come, to be filled with Christ. The women continue in verse 14. They say that his name may be famous in Israel. The phrase there, his name, could refer to the Lord's name, Or to the baby's name. It's left ambiguous in the story. And the the Hebrew grammar doesn't really specify as to to which one it was. We could could follow the the words of the women and and conclude that they're referring to to Obed. He hasn't yet been named in the story, so it could also refer to the Lord. Conclusion is this, I believe. The Lord's name would ultimately be made famous through the name of this child being made famous in Israel. We look back at the history of redemption and we see that that this is indeed what's happened. The child's name has faded, as it were, in history. The Lord's name stands in, in sharp relief against the history of the world and the history of redemption. Obed was instrumental here. And carrying on the lineage that would result in in Christ coming into the world. But the focus is on the Lord and His his loving kindness and His faithfulness in providing a Redeemer through this child. 
Well, isn't that what we wish for our children this evening? That in one sense their names would be made famous in the kingdom of God. Famous for the right reasons. Famous for their lives being used for the furtherance of the gospel, the furtherance of redemption like Obed was. But that their names and our names would fade from history so that the Lord's name would be, would be superimposed, as it were, over our names and the names of our children, just like happens here. May the Lord use our children for His glory in this way so that redemption might come for others through them however the Lord uses them. But then the women continue to trace what this child would do for Naomi. In verse 15, the women tell Naomi, they said, He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. What does that mean? A restorer of thy life. Well, in one sense, on the human level, this child would give Naomi a new lease on life. Her grandchild would bring great joy to her in the midst of her sorrow. She no doubt was still mourning the loss of Elimelech and Malon and Killian. This child would be God's provision for her hurting soul, for the bitter providence God would give a baby to blunt the edge of grief that ultimately will never leave a parent that loses a child or loses a spouse that loses a husband. I couldn't help but think that this was particularly true this morning or this, uh, today, this evening, for some of us gathered here. Some of you buried one grandchild yesterday, and now another grandchild baptized. A source of joy in the midst of grief and sorrow. A gift in which God blunts, in a sense, the edge of grief by reminding us of who He is in His faithfulness. A baby can be a restorer of life and joy. But the fascinating part of this statement is that the word restorer has at its root the Hebrew word for return. Does that remind you of anything? Let me remind you of the first chapter of Ruth. Of how many times that word return is, is used there. They rose and returned. Naomi tells her daughters in law, return to Moab. And so they returned to Bethlehem, and it was the time of the barley harvest. Return and return. We saw how that was a picture of repentance, how, how they left the land of Moab, the land of death, the land of sin, and, and returned back to the land of promise where God was to the land of, of bread. 
the land of emptiness to the land of fullness. Everything now is being resolved in Naomi's life. This child would be a returner of her life. A returner of her life. It's a picture of grace, a stunning picture of grace. Everything that Naomi had lost was in a sense being restored to her. Isn't this what Christ The Redeemer does for lost sinners. He awakens them. He draws them back from Moab. He takes them from their place and heart of emptiness to His place of fullness. He changes hearts through His loving kindness. He changes the perspectives of His providence by helping us look at it in the the rearview mirror of our lives in order to gain some semblance of understanding of what He's done and what He's doing in our lives, especially the hard times of loss and grief and death. What is it that God provides in times such as this? A returner of our lives. And how we need Him again this evening, don't we? As a returner of our lives. To return us to Him again, to receive of His fullness. In Christ. Proclaimed it for us again in baptism. He is a returner of life for those who are dead. Reminded us of that yesterday morning when Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus and was a returner of life to Lazarus and proclaimed that life for dead sinners. I am the resurrection and the life. Are you dead? you know it. Here is a Redeemer to restore, to return life to those who are dead. There's hope tonight for the worst case. This child Redeemer would also be what the women call a nourisher of Naomi's old age. There's the expression, isn't there, that we live through our children, both positively and negatively. But Naomi could now live on through her grandchild. He was the hope, not just of her name living on, not just her hope of redemption, but he would be the one who would give her hope and perspective. Her bitterness would give way to full, unbridled joy. She would hold this child and care for him and teach him God's ways of providence and redemption. What a story she would tell this child. He would provide for her what she needed in her old age, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually, in what he presented, represented as the Redeemer. This child redeemer points us to another redeemer who is the nourisher of old age, a special word to the elderly amongst us. He's not only the God of the young, but he's also the God of the old, isn't he? Provides everything we need physically, emotionally, spiritually. During the years that we term the golden years that really aren't that golden as we experience the breakdown of the body, the weakness of the mind, Reminds us 
what the Redeemer provides for us as well. As he comes to us in the gospel to remind us that he's also the Redeemer of the old as well as of the young. He gives hope again when all hope seems lost. And the birth of children reminding us that he's a God of life. Gives joy in the midst of sorrow and grief. Helps us see the next generation growing up in the fear of the Lord. What a story you have to tell your children. Or maybe I have to ask you this question. Do you have a story to tell? Not about yourself, but of God's faithfulness, of His loving kindness, of His grace and His providence for you. Then you have a story to tell. How He's dealt with you through the bitter and through the sweet. Investing in the next generation, teaching them, training them up on the way that they should go. Learning from your own lessons to keep them in the ways of God. You look back on your life and it was all to bring you to Him. Just like this child was a restorer and a nourisher of Naomi's old age, so our children and grandchildren can serve that for us. But more importantly, reminds us of the Redeemer. Who is that no matter what age we are? Finally, the women close their speech with words about Ruth and her value to Naomi. All these benefits of the child redeemer accrue to Naomi because of? Because of Ruth. All the benefits are grounded in Ruth's value to to Naomi. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Do you remember what it was in chapter 1 that compelled Ruth to go with her mother-in-law? She loved her. When Naomi had lost her sons who remained, Ruth remained in steadfast faithfulness and loyalty born of the Lord's loyalty and faithfulness to her and His grace in her life. It's this Gentile woman tender and loving, persistent and faithful, who is of more value than the perfect number of sons to Naomi. It's out of this Gentile woman that the Redeemer is born to Naomi. The amazing purposes and plan of God are traced back to His bringing in this Gentile woman, bringing her back from Moab to His covenant people, to Himself bringing her into Boaz's fields, granting conception and birth to this child redeemer. This is just a microcosm, a small picture of what God was doing all along in bringing the redeemer into the world. We read back through his lineage and we find multiple Gentile women unassuming women, godly women, women who are trusted in God. He brings into the lineage of His grace to further His work of redemption so that in the fullness of time the Son of God will be born as the great Redeemer of His people. 
No amount of sons could account for the value of these women and their role in the lineage of Christ. Naomi had lost her sons. It was bitter and grievous. But in losing her sons, she had gained a daughter-in-law who would bear this child redeemer. Do you get the picture? And so we see, as a practical aside also, the value of women in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures, the value of mothers in the grand plan of redemption, a vital, vital role. Not just in bringing Christ into the world, but in nurturing our little ones in the fear of God. It is a role denigrated by culture. But it's heightened here and valued by God. You mothers are of great value to God. Can I remind you of that tonight? Because that's what the Word of God reminds you of tonight. He uses you as mothers, fathers too, but mothers, to nurture your little ones in the fear of God. So go forth in raising your little ones, recognizing the value that God places on it in His furtherance of redemption. You look throughout church history, the lives of great men in church history. What is one of the soul causes of their conversion apart, of course, from from the Holy Spirit working that life in them? It's a godly mother. Think of Augustine, whose mother Monica said, can the son of these tears perish? She prayed for him faithfully, pointing him to Christ again, and again. Be encouraged. God uses mothers, mothers in Israel, to continue and to further his work of redemption in the lives of little ones. And through them, as the next generation comes, we're not left without a Redeemer who encourages us who delights to work in the lives and hearts of little ones and young people. And so we see the role that Obed plays in the life of Naomi, the birth of a Redeemer and what he means to her and to sinners by extension what Christ means for us tonight. And thirdly, as God raises up this Redeemer, briefly we see that it's moving towards a royal lineage. He stands, Obed here stands in the long line of those whom God would use in bringing forth his son into the world, the only Redeemer of God's elect. Obed was a Redeemer on a human level. Christ is a Redeemer on the spiritual and the human level. 
One of the things to notice here is the care that Naomi provides for this child. Verse 16, we see a tender picture of maternal, motherly care. Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, became nurse unto it. Becoming a nurse here simply means that Naomi assumed care. It doesn't mean that she, she fed the child from herself. It speaks to her tender care, her love for this young boy. As she returned to Bethlehem, her bosom was empty. Her lap was empty, devoid of children, devoid of the joy of, of children on her lap. That emptiness speaks to the pain of childlessness, of the hopelessness of not having the family name being carried on. The hopelessness of not having a redeemer. But now as she enfolds this child into her womb, into her bosom, into her arms, it's as if she adopts him as her own. She cares for him. She cradles him. She sees in him God's most wonderful provision. Her arms are full. Her heart is full. But there's evidence of God's loving kindness and redeeming love. Naomi, in essence, becomes the mother of a king. As we follow the lineage of Boaz and Obed and Jesse and David. Her emptiness has been changed into fullness by God. This speaks to us, doesn't it, of what God is able to do in the worst and most hopeless of situations. He is the Redeemer who leads sinners from the emptiness of sin and grief and bitterness to the fullness of His person in the Redeemer. My friend, tonight you are not left without a Redeemer. His name is Jesus. And He calls you to Himself to change your life, to change you, to bring you to Himself. The child receives a name in verse 17. The women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed means servant. Indicates the role he would have in the history of redemption, a servant in a long line of servants. To the fulfillment of the suffering servant who would come to redeem his people. And then it speaks to the royal lineage that was progressing through Obed and Jesse and David. The royal seed seemed to be in jeopardy at the beginning of Ruth and the end of the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. There's no child for Naomi, for Ruth. Elimelech means God is my king. But how, how in the world would God provide a king? This is how. Through his providence, bringing all these people together, beginning the royal lineage according to his promise. 
God, in his overwhelming kindness, brings Obed into the picture to continue that promise made to Jacob, made to Judah. The scepter would not depart from the house of Judah. Here we have the royal seed so that we can say this evening we are not left without a redeemer. There's hope. This is God's grace and mercy messaged forth tonight once more for those who are empty, for those who are bitter, for those who are still stuck in Moab. You are not left without a redeemer. Rise and return because there's hope. Because the Lord has not left us without a Redeemer. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank thee once more for thy word, for the power of it, for thy providence as we see it unfolding in the life of these characters, these people. We see it unfolding in our own lives and how we can learn that thou art the God who uses these providences to further redemption in bringing forth thy Son in the fullness of time but also in redeeming sinners today. And so Lord, as we look back over our lives more recently in the past week as we look ahead to how the next week will unfold Lord we pray that we would see thy hand of redemption at work in the lives of old and young that we would see Christ the returner of life to those who have lost it. Lord, do that. Do it for thy name's sake. Glorify thyself. Glorify thy son. We would have it no other way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.